Welcome to the Big East Rewind. Today's guest, another Orangeman, but also another big guy, Otis Hill. You're really going to enjoy this. He's going to fill us in on his unlikely, but I'm going to say expected run to that championship game 1996 with John Wallace, Zara Sims, Jason Sapol, and all the other Cuse guys. And he's also going to take us to some neat places like Yakima, Washington. That's right. We're going. Sit back, relax, enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Big East Rewind. I am your host from Villanova University, Chuck Everson, and my partner, as always, my point guard, my buddy, my pal, Sonny Sparrow. How are you, Sonny? Chuck, I'm great. I'm great. We have a good old friend, orange man. And a big yeah. guy. So I, I know that you're going to hit on a couple of those for sure. Two out of three isn't bad. Sonny. I knew it. You know I, I mean? knew it. <laughs> Two out of three is not bad, man. I like the bigness. I love that. You know that. Uh, you know, we go back and forth with that. Uh, uh, a lot of fun that we've had. And it's always good to have another post player big guy in the room with us. So I love that. You know, whatever shirt he's wearing, orange or blue, it doesn't matter to me, really. You know, not anymore. It's been 40 years, Sonny. You know, it's... uh. <laughs> We can let it go now. You know what I mean? We didn't we didn't have a lot of success against you guys up at that place. And uh I, I still have nightmares of playing in the dome, but that's okay. So without any further ado, let me introduce the big guy from Syracuse. You like how I said that, Sonny, right? Because Len Berman is still living here. You know that, right? Not that, yeah. <laughs> from Syracuse. By way of White Plains, New York, he scored 1,400 points for the Orangemen. And he was a member of the 1996 uh, team that went to the championship game against Kentucky. Please welcome to the Big East Rewind, Otis Hill. Otis, thanks for coming out, brother. How are you? Ah, uh, thank you. I'm doing well, gentlemen. I appreciate you guys having me on the cast. Well, yeah, thanks for coming out. I mean, it's, you know, like I said, we, we've had a lot of fun doing this show. And, um, you know, we're going to have some more fun today talking to you about your career and and your memories and time in the Big East Conference. So we're looking forward to that and beyond because you've you played professionally for a little while. You bounced around with the uh, in the CBA, the USBL, and stuff like that, and you know took the uh, the long way around, you know, over in Europe and Poland. Right? You played in Poland for a little bit too. Yeah, that was one of my first um, successful outings in Europe. Uh, Poland was a great place to play, and I loved it. And and won championships on all those teams. So we'll we'll talk about that as we get into it. You, I mean, you won a couple of chips in the uh, in the USBL, and you won a CBA title, right? And in, yep. I think you won the Polish Cup too, right? Yeah, we won the Polish Cup. We fell short um, after uh, after that season, but yeah, we had a great. That was a great championship ride. Yeah, so we'll we'll get into all that. So White Plains, New York. How do you get from White Plains, New York? to Syracuse and the Carrier Dome. How does that happen? Oh, man, it was it was crazy because I originally, my dad and mom moved to the Bronx and then they moved to White Plains because I had a lot of family in Westchester County and things were getting a little dangerous. So it was just Bayheim came to the house and he won my dad over. Um, Villanova was right there in the ranks. I loved Villanova. I, I almost became... A while I was right there in Villanova, but the beds were too small. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. I, Believe me. When I went on my visit 
to Villanova. I loved everything about Philly. My mom loved it. And then I went in and I said, Dad, they got bunk beds. And he looked at me. He said, what? I said, look. Well, and, uh, you have to know the right people, though. I mean, you know, I I was there <laughs> and they and they got us. I, I roomed with Wyatt Maker, who was also a big guy on our team. And right. they, they got a seven foot bunk beds. It was the biggest thing you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> it was still, and I listen, because we could, the rooms were so small, you couldn't put them both on the ground and have room. The right. bunk beds made it at least cleared it out for you, but we had seven foot bunk beds. Thank goodness. Wow. Yeah. It That's was like, crazy. yeah, to get all that body and uh, that all those big bodies in one room like that was crazy. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Jimmy, uh, Jimmy came to the house. He was honest. Uh, Coach Morgan came, uh, and I think the relationship between Coach Morgan, my dad, and uh, myself was the reason I chose Syracuse, and also it was close to home. Wayne Morgan. Now, yes, what, sir. Was uh, came in my senior year. I got to know him just a little bit. Right. Was was Bernie? Was Bernie one of the guys that recruited you as well? Funny story about Bernie. Bernie didn't like me at first. Really. <laughs> Bernie said I was lazy. He did. He couldn't stand me, but he explained to me why he thought that. He said I didn't realize how much better I was than my conference because I was in a small conference. My dad didn't really care about competition. He just wanted me to get a good education and and go to a good school. So I played in a smaller conference. And at first, Bernie and I bumped heads, but then he became like a father figure almost when my dad passed away. So Bernie Fine was an integral part of me staying in Syracuse. That's Bernie. That's exactly yep. how he is. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's funny. It's funny you pick up on that observation. I, I would have thought that when you when you lost your dad, that that Bernie would somehow be in that mix and that influence just just because the type of person that he is, you know. But the right. beginning, because he he was he working with the big guys then? Because when when we had him, he was uh -huh. with the guards, and Moses or excuse me, Brendan Malone had the bigs. Right. And Brendan left. They sort of switched, and I think because Bernie used to, he'd get on Ronnie Cycli like right. Ronnie didn't want to see Bernie coming, you know. <laughs> so, so I can imagine that he would grind you every day before practice, right? Oh my lord! Listen, the big the bigs had to be there forty five minutes, dressed, taped, and ready to go. Yep. We used to. He used to make us do this thing with bricks, and bricks. we used to carry bricks in our hands and do slides and. And at first, like I hate Sonny. You know, you've been there. <laughs> I wanted to fight Bernie. Like I didn't understand all this. I'm like, I played ball. Like we don't do this. Yeah. But after. After I started to mature a little bit and understand what Bernie was putting us through, he made me as tough as I am today. I came in tough, or I thought I was, but Bernie really made me um, able to survive and bang down low in the post in the Big East. So Look, you're you came, saying, you oh, just in. to clarify, just to clarify something, Sonny, I'm sorry to step on you. Go ahead. But my my point guard friend here. So what you're saying is the guards had it much easier at Syracuse than the big guys did. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Oh yeah. Stop. Sonny, you guys only ran from top of the key to top of the key. Oh, we on, had to on, go on. baseline to baseline, Sonny. <laughs> yes, just sir. so you know. And that's a lot of bulky guys running from baseline to baseline. You know how far that is? 
That's 94 feet. For, I know how far it is. It's 94 feet. <laughs> That's right. So I knew I knew it. I know it's about time we had a guy on from Syracuse that was honest enough to say <laughs> that the big guys had it tougher. Because I know Hawk. Hawk had it tough. So did Ronnie. You know, D.C., all of them. Pearl, yes, sir. You guys, you know, took the day off when you went to practice. It seems to me. I don't know. Let's, let's not get on Pearl. Pearl was Pearl was not a practice. Well, listen, we all know Pearl. Not all a right? Yeah, we all know Pearl. We all know that Pearl. But you, you know, you know, he had some he had some things in practice that were not normal for right. like a regular, a regular guy. I mean, we went into those on on his uh, thing. So I'm was sorry to digress, but I just had to bring that up, Bo, because him and I go back and forth. With right. guards and bigs all the time. So, so, so oh, I does, get it. Was there any Syracuse guys that were influential in you coming there? Like, you know, John, um, Wallace, John Wallace was a year ahead of you or two? John two. and I were the same year. I tore my hamstring uh, my freshman year, so I had to redshirt. Okay. A lot of people didn't know during when we were getting ready and we started those spring practices, I had popped my hamstring. So, Bay was like, look, you already got two senior centers in front of you. You might as well register. And it ended up being a good thing. But the two things that got me was the Big East Championship with Billy Owens, Derek, Sherm, Stevie, and that group when I watched them. And John Wallace and I were roommates in ABCD Nike camp. And John told me, he said, big fella, listen, I we really don't have nobody coming in. He's like, you should come with me. And we talked and we talked, we kept in touch and I took my visit and my dad looked at me. He said, I think you're going to be an orangeman. And if you, anybody who knows my dad, I pretty much was like, yes, sir. <laughs> so it, it just, everything just fell into place for me going to Syracuse. Talk about your dad a little bit. Cause I was reading, I saw a couple of high school articles and, and they, uh, big Otis, right. They, they referred to him as big Otis. And it sounded like just like you just described that you two had a really special bond. What was it like, like getting into the game and then playing with your dad right there, high school and all those times? Um, my dad was probably, if I really think about it, he was my hero. And towards before he passed away, he was my best friend. Um, You know, we fought for years when I was growing up, like we just didn't get along and I never understood why he was so hard on me. And I just, my dad disciplined me like other kids were going out and I had to come home by 11. And one day he just sat down and cried in front of me. And I didn't know what to do with that. Cause I had never seen my father cry. And he just explained to me, like, this is what life is. If I don't do these things, you could end up in jail or dead. And it finally stuck when I was about 16. And then it was just from there on, I kind of just followed whatever he wanted me to do and just, you know, just wanted to be, I wanted to be great for him, you mm -hmm. know, so he proud. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, 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 like I said, I saw that and it sounded like a very strong, like not even an influence that you'd call him your hero, your best friend. And uh -huh. so you, but he let you make the decision the schools and he just got a sense at Syracuse or did he have input on it? He had a lot of input. Um, my biggest thing is a lot of people don't realize I was a all-American football player at one point and I chose football. I was signing with the University of Miami. I didn't care. My dad just 
he just he just he he played and he got hurt trying out for the Dallas Cowboys. So ever since then, he was always kind of like he he wanted me to shy away from football. And then he kind of got into my head about, you know, the longevity and everything like that. So I did end up choosing, but he did have a lot of input. So you, that was, they were, they were it in the nineties. I was the number five tight end in the country. And I'll never forget. I took a visit to Miami and I called and I called my mom. I said, me and dad have a great time. This is where I'm signing. And he had other plans. (laughs) Dana Barrows <laughs> talked about it too. He was a, he was another guy who's a great football player. He was going to go yep. to Miami as well. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yep, I remember that. Yep. Good that good that we kept you guys in the basketball. <laughs> right. Mm. You might have played with the Rock if you went there. I mean, right? It was right around yeah. that time. Warren Sapp and yep. Ray Lewis uh-huh. and those guys, right? I actually went to camp with all of them. We went to oh, what camp was that? I can't remember what camp it was. And we all ended up being at a camp together and um talking to a lot of those guys like Sap. I remember speaking to Sap a couple of times. Uh Bob Marley's son, Rohan Marley was there. Oh wow. So we um they all were going and I was like, you know what, this would be a good crew to go. But like I said, my pop. My pop didn't play no games, and when he thought something and he felt strong, it happened. <laughs> now, did did just speak of that? Did Syracuse football then say, "Hey, listen, why don't you like you know Don, Donovan McNabb did both"? I mean, did they come after you to do yeah. that? Yeah, I actually wanted to quit basketball after my freshman year, and I had told. Was it? I think what, what happened? Yeah. I did, you know, I red shirted and I felt like I could heal and I thought I was good enough that I could play and, you know, all those things. And I had told my dad, I was like, dad, I'm going to go off for the football team and, and that's it and I'm going to do it. So I guess Beheim found out him and my dad talked. Next thing I know, my dad's knocking on my door. And that's all she wrote. I ended up playing basketball for four years. <laughs> wow. Well, so you know that what? was it. The weird thing about that, right, is you you played two years with Donovan McNabb on basketball. Wasn't he on your team, on your basketball team for two Absolutely. years? And here you are looking maybe to go to his team. Could have had know. two guys. Yeah. Could have had, yeah, right. Exactly. He wanted Donovan. It was funny. Me and Donovan spoke about it. And he was like, because we used to play like at basketball during the um the preseason workouts. At the end, sometimes we played touch football. Well, being men who we were back then, we were young and kind of kind of wild. We said we're going to play tackle. So Don was designated quarterback. I was tight end. And he was throwing the ball to me. And he was like, "Oh man, you got some talent." So we started talking about it, and he was kind of influential in me thinking about joining. And I kind of wish I really had did, but you never know with injuries and things like that. It could have went either way. Yeah, I'm surprised Coach Bayheim didn't like hijack Coach McPherson and make sure that he. Uh... Had nothing like he never bumped into you at Manly. You guys never crossed paths. Like here comes Otis. Hey, McFer- come here, McPherson. Like he he would grab Coach McPherson, completely steer him clear of you. Oh, <laughs> uh, Coach, Coach knew he knew. Like he's like, I'm not gonna argue with you. And he just called my dad, and I couldn't believe he had called my father because I was all set to start practice the next week. And my dad made an emergency trip up. He knocked on my door. We talked. And uh, yeah, Bay Bay just looked at me and said, "No more of this football shit, huh?" I said, "Nope." 
and that was it. Wow. And we were done with it. <laughs> Just like that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, career listen, pay, you, career you, change. Boom. You played for a national championship in basketball in college. And like Chuck said, you went on and you won a bunch of chips in the USBL, CBA, as well as Poland. So you're born winner. You would have you would have done just fine in either yeah. sport. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, you get you get to a championship game, whether you win or lose at that point. You know, listen, it's always great to win versus lose. I get it. Oh, you know, and I'm not rubbing salt in anything, but to get but, there is an, an an unbelievable achievement for somebody's career just to get to that game. You know what I mean? And you did it on different levels. So right. what is it? What's it take from for for a guy for a big guy or for a team? What kind of characteristics do you have to have to get to a championship like that as a team? Man, um, as a big guy, especially back then. Being a big guy, you just had to be tough and you had to be persistent. You know, I I had John Wallace, Lawrence Moten, Adrian Archery, uh, Luke Jackson. I had scores around me. So any points that I had, they were either put back dunks or or layups or just trying to get the ball off the rebound. So yeah. I think being a big man with those championship teams, you got to get in where you fit in. You can't complain. You just got to bust your butt and things will eventually fall in your way, but you just can't ever get up and you got to have that toughness about you. Yeah, no you, doubt. You, uh, you split time that you're in a championship. It was you and JB, right? JB Reesnader? Yep. And you're two different players, right? You're two different styles. JB was a little more of a a traditional, like, like low post where you had that ability and that athleticism that you could stretch a little bit more. Um, what what a squad though, because we had Zeon, we had John Wallace on. They were they were just great guys too, you know. Like, talk about oh, yeah. the chemistry of that squad, because you had what Jason Sapola, right? It was Marius Janulis. Was he part of that crew or no? Yep, Marius Janulis, Jay Sapola, Lazara Sims, myself, Todd Bergen, Todd. Yep, and Todd was yeah. that that utility guy. Yeah, Todd was tough. A lot of people don't understand. He was really he really was a utility guy. He could do it all. Yep. Yeah. Now, when they put you, what did they ask of you? They asked you to, to, did they ask you to stretch it a little bit or just, you just had that athletic skills? What was it? Well, I when like a lot of people don't realize when I was in high school, I was 225. I played every position because like I said, I went to a small school. So when I came in and was playing against the big East, my first practice was awful. Conrad McCray is jumping all over the place. Dave Syot knocked me out of bounds. So I think what happened was I had to put on weight and I had to learn to carry the weight. It was tough because I wasn't used to having that much weight on me. And, but it ended up being so beneficial in the Big East because some of the centers that I went up against, if I didn't have that weight, it would have been destruction. Like that Eric Mobley, Luther Wright, just, you yeah. know, guys just that were seven foot tall and dunked the ball every time they got it. So the the funny thing about that and that, that team, we were close. Like we were very close. Like we, we would hang out from time to time, each other's houses. We hung at students. Our chemistry was so good because I think John was, we had several leaders. We had John who was lead by example. Then we had Lazarus Sims, 
who was the vocal floor general. And then you had me. I was kind of the, the bouncer. I was kind of the muscle. Mm -hmm. So we we had so many different aspects that we all just gelled and it just it made it made a beautiful team. Yeah. You know, the other go ahead, Sonny. Go ahead. I was gonna say John and Z talked about it. They said before the last that that season. John said, okay, everybody, you're coming to my house. We're going to work out in Rochester, right? Were you part of that? Yeah. <laughs> it was it sounded like they that, put it all together. Mickey John Walker. really, John really, people don't realize that all they saw was when John got, if he had a bad game or, you know, outsiders. But people in Syracuse know John was definitely our leader. And I can even remember during the Final Four when we were watching the, uh, selection show john looked when when the thing came out the room was silent john looked around he turned around and looked at us and said we can win this and the room erupted like even behind behind brought it in and said let's go and, and we from that moment i felt like we all had a chip on our shoulders and we all felt like we had a mission and we really thought and believed in our heart that we could beat we could win that and beat anybody that we went up against. Yeah. So take us through that season. Oh, take us through 96 and, and, and your path to the finals. I mean, that was a hell of a year in the big East. You had guys like Ray Allen and Allen Iverson, Kerry Kittles to name a few. Um, th you know, that was a talented, talented conference at that point. Talk about, your path through the big East first and, and getting past those guys, because, you know, when you, when you look back at it and, and people say, you know, they talk about teams and stuff like that. Sometimes the Syracuse team of that era gets kind of overlooked because the star power and some of these other squads, man, was, was off the wall, right? Absolutely. I think the road, like I said, I think we got a chip on our shoulder. Once we started seeing all the, the yeah. media coverage because a lot of times when we played, when we played in the big East, that was like playing in the tournament, you yeah. know, going up against Allen. I've like you said, Allen Iverson, Ray Allen, Kerry Kittles. We had the big East was loaded. So we felt like any team that we played outside the conference, we were ready for. So the biggest thing with us was, People don't think we can win. We're going to go in and punch them in the mouth. And that's why I was kind of raised that way, so I was ready for it. So we went in like some dogs, and we just said we got to win, and we're going to have to leave it out on the floor. And and that path, man, it was – because we had some light games in the beginning, but they were even tough. But then when you get to Georgia and go yeah. that overtime game, I mean, and then Kansas – Kansas always holds a special place in my heart because they were talking, excuse my French, they were talking shit about me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Wayne Morgan being the motivational genius that he was, he cut out a clipping in the Kansas newspaper. I'll never forget it. He photocopied it, made it a little bit larger, and highlighted some parts and put it in my locker the day before the Kansas game. And Basically, it was an article of Scott Pollard and I think Ray LaFrance. Yep, LaFrance. And these, and these SOBs said, we don't know who the other guy is. We don't care. All we have to do is stop John Wallace 
and everything else will be in be uh everything else will go to side. <laughs> so I'm reading this before practice. And I said to everybody, nobody talk to me till tomorrow. <laughs> and I was focused. I didn't sleep. I didn't sleep before the Kansas game. And I think that was the chip that not only myself, but I think all of us in our way had to get through the tournament and make it to the national championship. Yeah. Well, you listen, you know, what's interesting to hear you talk is no matter if you played in the eighties when Sonny and I played or the nineties, when you played, everybody says the same thing. The, the big East conference games so prepared you for anything you were going to see outside of the conference, you know? And, right. and, and by the way, if you didn't play against the big East team during the season, you were not ready for the physicality, for the pressure, for the for the how the toughness of the Big East Conference. Talk right. about talk about that for a second, because that that to me, it, you know, it, we played in the middle eight, mid eighties. I played the same time as Sonny. So <laughs> I thought I thought you said we played in the Middle Ages. I was like, come <laughs> on, middle eighties, eighties. That's my Long Island accent. Sonny. I'm like you're killing me, man. <laughs> no, no. I'd be killing myself then, Sonny. We played the same time. So, but, but that that period of time, I remember distinctly, we talked with the Georgetown guys, you know, right. and they ran that full court press in your face from one end to the other. You had Jeannie Smith on the top. You had Patrick in the back. You know, that was no nonsense. But when somebody saw that that wasn't in our conference, they, they didn't know what to, they didn't know how to handle that, you know? Right. And, and I think the neatest thing, the coolest thing about playing in the big East at that time. And, and even through your years and into the two thousands is the big East guys, as much as they went after each other and, and it was a battle, you want to call it a war, whatever, you know, it was difficult times, you know, when you get on a court, you know, it was on for real, you know, you better be ready to play or go home, you know, right. But we all rooted for our, the teams that were in the conference playing outside the conference. So if, St. John's was playing, you know, Kansas or something, you know, we'd be rooting for St. John's to beat them. Now, the only exception is the two guys I'm I'm talking to, the orange man. Maybe you didn't root for the Hoyas so much. Oh, that you know, hard. I could probably yeah. say that without without exception. So talk about that. Talk about, you know, the battles that you had within the conference and how it prepped you for Kansas and squad and squads like that. Well, my real first introduction to Biggie's play was Providence. And I was highly recruited by Providence. They loved me. They wanted me to come in, but I ended up going to Syracuse. And I believe the two guys, and they beat me up, was Mike Smith and Dickie Simpkins. Yeah. They showed me what the Big East was all. I mean, I got elbowed in the back of the head. I got thrown out of bounds. I I think I broke my pinky on a chair from getting knocked out of bounds. But the Big East was so physical that when we played other teams, you could really see the difference. Like, I, we played – who did we – I'm trying to think if we played outside the conference – and they were like, yo, you guys are playing football out here. We was like, that's how Big East is played, baby. We play yeah. tough inside. And I can't, I can imagine um how teams used to look at us and be like, yo, they're a bunch of brawlers. But you know as well as I do, that's how the Big East was played. If you yeah. couldn't play tough, you had to get out. So 
playing against non-conference teams, they used to get overwhelmed with the physicality. Even our guards are physical. You know, yeah. Jason Poland may have looked like a pretty boy on the left, but he was throwing elbows too. So I I loved how the Big East really prepared us for the tournament because physicality was never the problem. You know, we always were used to it. Did you have a guy that you that you uh that you circled that you're going up against this week or somebody somebody in the conference? Was there somebody that you remember that you know that man, we were we were at war, him and I. And in mm. those games, you had it circled or somebody that you just remember battles with. Othello Harrington from Georgetown. That took about a second. You hear that? Just, <laughs> just <laughs> like didn't that. Even think about it. He was nope. like, Go ahead. finish your question. I you got know, the answer. Like I said, all of us had that game. So all of us had the Georgetown game circled on the calendar, Sonny. You know right. that. Come on. Right. Oh, exactly. He oh was he was he was tough because he was left-handed. Yes. And when I got into my head sometimes as a younger player, all the scouting report would go out the window and I would just rely on my athleticism in it. And a lot of times it wasn't the right move because when he would go left, I'm thinking he's going right. So he and I didn't like each other since high school. So it was perfect fitting that he didn't go, that he went to uh, Georgetown. But we've seen each other since then and we laughed and we talked about it. But yeah, those, you know, those, that, that game, every time Georgetown, whether it was the rivalry or playing against him, that game was always circled on the calendar. Talk about the rivalry from your perspective, oh. I mean, Sonny and I have talked about it, you know, and, and Sonny has shared his thoughts on it with with the Georgetown guys. We've had quite a few of the Georgetown guys on the show. And, uh, right. you know, so talk about it from your perspective. What was that like for you? It was amazing because I have family um, in Virginia, in the D.C. area, and a lot of times when we would go there, they would be my motivation to play. So yeah. the the tradition of the Georgetown Syracuse, you know, going way back, it was just you could feel the energy whenever you that game was coming. I don't care how many days, like a week before, you could start to feel the energy. And I think it was great for college basketball because you had these two amazing coaches who literally had respect for each other. But at times you used to wonder, do they really like each other? <laughs> do they really they do they really care for each other? And I just am grateful that I was a part of that because that those games were legendary, you know. And yeah. it was it was really it was really amazing to be a part of it. You know, you get amped up, you're playing a place like the Carrier Dome with thirty five thousand screaming maniacs in there, right? I mean, what's more <laughs> what's more fun than playing in front of a crowd like that, right? Against a team like that, you know? Right. You know, that 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 dome was something amazing because we would go to other places and I'd be like, well, this is all they got. Like we got we got all these people back here. I'm I'm not worried about the crowd. So playing in the dome was was a privilege, too. And it was amazing because those fans sometimes was they 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 willed us to win some games. They really did. Now. The whole campus, like you talked about, you know the game's coming up. You got Georgetown coming to town. It, everybody on campus was amped up. It was insanity. Yep. When you were there, the benches were on the other side of the court, right, where they are now? Yeah. Okay. And was the student section still right behind the basket, or did they move them? It was right behind the basket. That's That was the great – now, they've moved them now, but that was that – was, 
so good. Well, that's so they can't throw oranges on the court, Sonny. Is that why they moved them? <laughs> I I, no. I don't remember anything about oranges, Chuck. <laughs> Me neither. Not, nothing. Nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So go ahead, you were saying. But um it, you know, the 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 dome and just the, that that mystique, like having the, the fans behind, like I can remember I had that year that we started my junior year, I had I had um I was still healing from losing my pop. And there was a lady, I can't remember her name, and I'm really it really bothers me. I can't remember, but she had cancer and she was one of the biggest orange room fans. And the Georgetown game was coming up and she couldn't make the game. So her family had called me and asked me, they said, listen, can you come to the house to see her? And they were like, please. And I was like, you don't have to ask twice. I'll be there. So I went to the house to surprise her and told her, I said, I don't care what happens, has to happen. We're going to win this game. And we won the game and she called me and, Things like that to me is what was really made my time in Syracuse special and and playing in the dome. The dome introduced me to a lot of amazing people. That yeah. was the that was the really the culmination of the people that were there. I mean, it's not Correct. it's not a glamorous, you know, high time like it's not like the Hamptons or, you know, LA. Right. People, you know, working hard, working class people, they're spending their last dollars buying them, drinking them dome foams, having those dome dogs. I mean, there was nothing like it. It really was. It really was very organic in nature and and so genuine that, you know, you experience it because in all essence, it was removed from the court. It really wasn't right on top of the court like in many other places we play, you know. Yeah. So you, you had mentioned Luther Wright. You remember playing against him? Yes, sir. I remember. I remember how he one time me and Luke had played. I knew Luther since high school. Right. And we I played for Riverside Church. And he played for Yep. And he played for the Jersey Roadrunner. Okay. All right. And he wasn't as big as he was when he got to college. So I just took him outside, hit a couple of jumpers, and the game was over. When we met again in college, I said, Luke, what in the hell happened? <laughs> and he looked yeah. at me, sir. He said, oh, no, big fella. I just, I just got big. I just got big. <laughs> <laughs> and he carried he carried me one time to the basket. I'll never forget it. And I'm not and I'm not a little person. And that big SOB, he carried me to the basket. And thank God he missed the dunk. But I looked at Luke. I said, you ever do that again? I'm going to punch you in the throat. And he's like, oh, oh you so funny. And patted me on my head. I wanted to fight. I wanted to punch Luther right in his mouth. <laughs> well, I don't know if people know, like you were an undersized big back then. You were six, six, eight or six, nine, six, nine. Sonny, fellas, between y'all, we ain't going to tell nobody this. I think I'm like six, seven. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're Andre Hawkins size. Right. Right. Yes, sir. Yeah. You know, Man. JB, JB was bigger. JB was seven, right? JB was about six eleven, seven feet. Had a smooth jumper. Had one of the smoothest jumpers I've ever seen. Just didn't but, like to shoot them. Um, yeah, he. I know. I used to tell him, man, if you don't get in there and shoot, I'm glad to play the minutes. But you know that two headed tandem was. Um, I hated it. I really did at first. I couldn't stand. It. I looked at Bayham. I'm transferring. I'm getting out of here. But 
was it Adrian Autry came up to me or Z? It was one of the, I can't remember who who came up to me, but they said, oh, look at it. If we put you two together, you'd be a first round draft pick. And I kind of looked and then I thought about it. For different situations, calls different players. And JB would come in when they were packing it in. And when they were weak inside, Bayham would go to me. So it ended up being a great thing, even though we both didn't like it at first, but it ended up being, it worked really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To be able to see that, first of all, from your perspective, I mean, you know, that, that I, I can understand why you wouldn't like that at all, you know, but right. then, then once you, and listen, it was, it's a maturity level too, right? Oh, I mean, you, right. you, you finally found that maturity and said, Hey, look, it, this is what's best for the squad. If we want to advance, you know, the late stages of the tournament or whatever, this is what we need to do. So, and you're also, right. and you're also dealing with the loss of your father, right? So, yeah. you know, it's, it's not people, you, people who've never recovered or had to deal with that don't know what right. it takes on a young adolescent testosterone filled dude. Right. <laughs> right. Like this is, it's, it's harmful when you, when you're, when you're not, doing what you think you should be doing and, and and it also did it take its toll on your grades because that's hard oh yeah i didn't i wasn't even going to class at one point i had the 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 key factor to me returning to school was an assistant coach who we had named tim o'toole tim yeah tim is probably one of the unsung heroes of my life um i had decided i was going to quit I was going to work a nine to five. I was going to be with my mom and take care of her and just right. do whatever I could do. And he sat me down one day and he just, he talked to me. Like he, he, he didn't talk at me. He didn't try to give me a little what he would do. He just sat down and talked to me. And basically at the end of that conversation was if I leave college, it'll be a detriment to me and my family and my father. So after I had a little bit of, down spiral i think it i i got back to myself when we played arkansas i wasn't starting bayheim took me out of spot out of starting uh starting five and then we played arkansas in the tournament and i played decent against corliss williamson and i think after that talk with tim it started to get my mind back to where i needed to be to to help the team and, and to be a good college athlete wow People so, don't know that stuff. People don't know. Yeah. You see those guys on the bench, and they don't know who's this guy, who's that guy, and they all have right. they all have pivotal roles, you know. Yeah, yep, you know, Jay's Jay Wright's whole thing is everybody's got a different job, but it's all the same. In other words, right, know, the value of everybody's job is equal, you know, but everybody's got a different job. So that's how you that's how you get uh, you know championship teams and 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 winning and winning teams. So now, now we go. We get into the final four, okay? To go, you know, in '96, where was that final four? First of all, Jersey, I think Metal that was yeah. at the Meadowlands. Yeah, right, yep. local. So that was that kind was of. The, cool. I mean, that yeah, was the Syracuse last, travels well. All the that time, was the right? last small arena. No it longer, was, right? After that, they were like, you know, listen, we got to seat sixty thousand plus. No more, no more twenty three, eighteen thousand, whatever the Meadowlands held. Tough so, tickets. Yeah. So you go. So, but you guys travel well. I mean, Syracuse. Yeah. Their people go all over the place to see their team play. I mean, so you must have had. It must have been like a home, home court advantage for you guys. No. It kind of was because I can still remember putting my headphones on, 
and walking out of my um hotel room. Yeah. And when I tell you, it was kind of like a, a a cylinder type hotel. Yep. And all the rooms you come out and it would have a focal point would be in the center. Yep. So I come out of my room and all I see is orange. I mean, every floor, every, I mean, there was nothing but orange. And I, I said, we got to win for them. Like it really, it really boosted us like past Mississippi state and to be able to battle with those guys because right. the confidence that the fans had in us. And like you said, they, the orange, we travel well. We, you'll look around in Hawaii and see half the gym orange. Right. So having that, as a um is a plus it definitely is a plus so i gotta ask you i know i heard you have a a a deep love of a certain animal off the floor (laughs) yep um horses when did you get into horses? Fill me in. Give me the background. I know, Another Kentucky uh, thing. You keep having all these Kentucky guys. All now, these Kentucky listen. references, though. What the heck? Listen, my wife, I still had a lot of issues from not dealing with my dad. And I hadn't started therapy yet. So my wife looked at me one day and she said, You want to ride a horse? And I said, I haven't been on a horse since I was 15 because my grandfather's from the South and they had horses. But I told my wife, I was like, okay, why not? So I started riding and it took me a minute. And then one day me and her trail rode up on top of a mountain and the sun was coming up and it was like the most perfect scene. And I just started crying and my horse was acting funny. And she said, are you okay? I said, yeah. I said, this is the best I've ever been. So horses have become therapeutic for me. And I have... We have one, two. We have four horses right now, and I'm looking to sell, and I buy, and you know, and that type of thing. But horses were are are they're like the mythical animal, man. We don't deserve them. They're too good. <laughs> yeah. When we were when we were down, we played our our championship game in Lexington, and we went down to the horse farms. Coach Massimino took us down, and we're with we're with horses like Seattle Slough and Alidar and. Right all these big money winners. It was amazing. You know, the athletes that they really were, the, you know, they, and they just walked and you see the muscles just pop from these beautiful, beautiful (laughs) animals, man. It was. Yeah, absolutely. But, and it's a big business. It's no joke. You start breeding horses, man. It was back then. I think it was 250 K just to have your mayor go in to the breeding shed, whether anything happened or not, you know, that was, it was crazy. So racehorses that, that racehorses down here is really the big money. I do, you know, people want personal horses. I, you know, I may breed my mare or find a horse for them, but um, that that racing is something is is something yeah. to behold, man. It really is. Yeah, that really it's something else. Right. So now, so get when, so go when ahead, you son. graduated when you graduated, you went a corrections officer. Is that what you were? What were you? Um, after I when played that. Yeah, after I retired, I came into corrections. I started out at Rikers Island, and my cousin was like, "Uh, no. He was like, listen, I understand what you want to do, and I know you can do the job, but why don't you come upstate New York and work with the juveniles? You'll make more money. At that point, I was going through a divorce, so I heard more money. I was like, let's go. So I ended up working with some of the most dangerous talented 
damaged children you ever want to meet. Wow. Probably off the charts brilliant. I'm I'm gonna guess. Some of I had one kid, Sonny. I guys, I had one kid that literally he would show like he would never go to school. And he was one of the biggest monsters I've ever seen. Like he was my size at 16 and was huge. And he would never go to school. He wouldn't pick up a book, but he would pass every test the teacher threw at him. And one day I just walked up to him. I said, big homie, let me ask you a question. Do you study? He was like, nah, I just know it. And I smacked him. <laughs> I literally, I didn't smack him hard to knock him off his feet. But I smacked him. I said, yo, what are you doing here? I said, the thing that you can do, brilliant people do and make money, what's it? And then he started telling me his story. And then I kind of smacked myself. And he laughed. And I said, bro, I said, you don't deserve that, but you deserve a good life. And he lives now in Carolina working a job, his own business. So wow. one good story out of a billion. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, but, you know, you're you're here to do that. Now, when you talked to him not knowing his story, did that jar some stuff for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um. He lost his dad when his his dad was a sanitation worker, if I believe, got killed in a shooting. His mom was so sad, went to drugs. He ended up selling drugs, trying to take care of her in the house. You know that whole story. And a lot of it did resonate with me because my parents kept that away from me. But I also had friends who were going through the same thing. So I understood. And... You know, guys, it's 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 heartbreaking to hear some of these stories, and, and you wonder why these kids people say they act like animals. Well, if you treat a human being like an animal, they're gonna start acting like. Yeah. And yeah, people don't understand, like Jeannie Waldron and I. That's one thing we always talk about is like, you don't know what someone's going through. Right. When you meet them and talk to them. You have no idea what led them to that point. Right. You know, and it's and it's. And it's it, there are a lot of good stories, but I wish there were more good than bad. But it's just, you know, this world we live in now with everything being the way it is. I just pray. That's why I live in the country. I go to work and I go home. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So so let's get back. Let's get back to your career stuff. So now yeah. the, uh, you, you get overseas and, and you're playing. Did you go to CBA first or the USBL? USBL first. I think that was in Pennsylvania. Okay. And Daryl Daryl Dawkins was my coach. That's right. The Pennsylvania Jeez. Valley Dog. Chocolate Thunder. Wow. Chocolate Thunder was as wild as you think he is. Let oh, me tell I, you. I hung I've hung with him a couple of times. I know exactly how wild he is. <laughs> We we did a uh, an event for a group called Rising Stars out here on Long Island, and uh, okay, and 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 D was talking, so they had me pick him up and take him in and stuff, and uh, I bring him back to the uh, to the Marriott, you know, the Uniondale Marriott, right by the Nassau Coliseum, and uh, they had a place called Champions. It was a sports bar in there. Yeah. So he goes, "Hey, big guy, you want to go? Let's have a drink." So I walk in to have a drink with him, and uh, we took over the entire bar. You see, two seven footers come into the place. And everybody <laughs> went wild. We we right. didn't pay for a drink the whole the whole time we were there, and, yes, and, had, and had twenty people around us 
he was holding court with everybody. What a great guy he was, man. Yes, he was. That was Doc. Doc, <laughs> he was so funny because he he watched me play. And the first game, he made them give me the ball like six times in a row. I was his only big man. So I kind of looked at Doc, and I was like, is this how it's going to be every game? I'm with it. And he said, oh, he said, he made this prediction, and, and it's kind of funny you asked me about that. Doc said to me, in 10 or 15 years, the true big man will be gone. Yeah. I'll never forget it. And and then today I watched the game, and I'm like, damn, he was right. Yeah, He really was. Like, he really knew the progression of the game, and he saw it. Yeah, Who were some of the guys you played with in the uh, CBA and the USBL that, that we Ooh. would do? Darren Hancock from Kansas. Donnell Scott from St. John's. Yep. Uh, Adrian Griffin from Seton Hall. Mm -hmm. Damian Owens, who played at West Virginia. Um, let's see. Let's see. There was a couple other guys I played with. You know, a couple guys from Drexel. Um, geez, I'm trying to think. I'm getting old. This memory's getting bad. <laughs> I really can't, but I that, those are the guys that really stand out. Um, but yeah, I had CBA was probably my favorite, it really was. We had a bunch of guys who were striving for the same thing, and and the CBA was more about feeding your family than a championship, yeah, right. and we all understood that, and uh, it just it just really was a great time with him. And I was young with a bunch of guys and we were a little wild, but it was really a good, good time playing in the CBA. And there's some wild places that you'll never get to go to in your whole life. Like, you know, I think we played in South Dakota and yeah. across Wisconsin and Topeka, <laughs> Kansas. And, yep. and I, and I lived, I lived in Casper, Wyoming. I played in Casper, Wyoming oh, wow. in CBA for Cassie Russell. So Cassie it was, Russell. you were out there with the deer and the antelope play, brother. There was nothing. Yes, sir. Tumbleweed and cowboys for real out there, you know. They tell you stories about when the coyotes come down. And you yeah, oh. the antelope would come off the mountain and they'd feed on our front lawn and then jump the fence and be back up on top of the mountain. We'd have no lawn. It was unbelievable. Man, we played. Where did we play? I think it was Yakima, Washington. Case in point. There you go. <laughs> Who the hell like... goes to Yakima, Washington? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You know, come I on. Told my mom. It's on my, my it's mom. on my bucket list though. It's on my bucket list. <laughs> I had called my mother and it was the day before the game. We had flew in that night and the, the flight was awful. We were flying over mountains in a prop plane. I told my mother, I said, Ma, can you send me some money? I'll get it back to you. I'm taking the bus home. And my coach laughed so hard that he made me laugh, so I ended up staying. But yeah, CBA was rough in some of those places. Yeah. I mean we're playing in in the in the Black Hills of South Dakota. Next right. Thing you know, I'm standing in front of Mount Rushmore. Like, what the <laughs> heck? Is, the hell am I? It was it was, <laughs> and it was like right. bing, bing, bing. Every night was a different crazy <laughs> spot, man. You know, absolutely. And, but but very talented, very talented people. I mean, got yeah. to play against some you know some really really good folks and had really good players on our team, and you know. Right. Ran into the likes of Michael Graham again, you know, after after playing against him at Georgetown, right? So actually roomed with Mike for for uh 
for a little bit in the USBL, which was something else, you know, I you, never, you haven't experienced life until you got to live with that guy for a few weeks, you know, <laughs> and he's right? a great, and he's a great guy. He's yeah. not, you know, we had a lot of fun, you know, I mean that yeah. in the best of ways, you know, absolutely. So, so what, so what, it, tell everybody what you're doing now. Oh, and, uh, and then we'll get this wrapped up because we're, we're running up against it a little bit. Uh, okay. Uh, right now I am a security account manager for three hospitals. I work in London, Kentucky, Berea, Kentucky, and Mount Sterling, Kentucky. And I'm just a security director. I have about, about a hundred people underneath me and, uh, we wow. just try to keep the, uh, the hospital safe. Uh, and I'm sure they listen when you speak, big fellow, right? I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, the size helps. The size helps. It, it, you got to know when to use it, though, right, O? Right. You can't use yeah. it all the time. You got, Yeah, right, because people would be terrified, you know, all the time. Right. Good. Listen, before, before we hit record, folks, I already got on his case about how can he go to Kentucky after the 96 championship game. And he said he took a long time to come to grips with it. So we're going to, we're going to let that slide. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, Hey, listen, you got the last word, uh, Oh, you know, going down there to Kentucky after what happened in 96. So I hope you're getting everything, every ounce of everything you can get out of Kentucky at this point, you know, in your life. Absolutely. The people down here are friendly. And then when they find out like who I am and that I played against Kentucky, I got best friends now that are about 90 years old or who work in a grocery store. You look familiar. Oh, uh, yeah, that's me. And they all, I've gone to bars with a couple of people. I've actually had dinner with, with some families. It's it's really a lot of love for basketball in this place. And, and that kind of made it a little bit easier. But I hope they lose every game. <laughs> <laughs> that's Coach it. Cal, that's all right. We'll make I would sure expect nothing else, though. Hey, listen, isn't it amazing, though, where this little orange ball that we all played with, you know, how far it's taken us in, its li in our lives and all the good things you've gotten from a game of, a game that kids play. And now, you know, here you are traveling around the, to famous places like Yucca, where, where they Yakima, Washington. Yakima, Washington, <laughs> you know, did you ever in your life think you would go there, you know, so. never, never. So with that, with that, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Oh, we appreciate you. And, uh, congratulations on all your successes on and off the court. And uh, once again, thanks for uh, sharing some time with Sonny and I today on the Big East Rewind. Appreciate that, man. Hey, anytime, anytime you guys call, I'll be ready to come, especially, you know, no offense, Chuck, but Sonny is, Sonny was the lineage. So I had to do it. I had, no I know, choice. listen, I, you know, we know, listen, we, we got Jalen Brunson and guys like that to come on from our crews too. Believe me, we had a lot of, there's a lot of Villanova guys. There's a lot of Villanova flavor and, Syracuse right. to the show, you know. As Tell should... Jalen I used to room with his father, and he's way better than his father. <laughs> I will tell him that. I will. I, actually, I'll see Rick probably before I see Jalen. But yeah, uh, well, tell Rick I said that. I <laughs> certainly will. <laughs> well, you've been listening to the Big East Rewind with Sonny Sparrow and Chuck Everson. The Big East Rewind is produced by and directed by Nick Chico Chorus and Daryl Gurney. You can check us out on all things social media by putting Big East Rewind in the search bar. Uh, we're building a website now. That's new news, right, son? Building yeah. a website now. We're going we're gonna to have that up soon. We'll let you know when that happens. And uh, you can get all your information from that. Uh, our YouTube shows, you go and put Big East Rewind in the search bar. And we ask you to uh, share, like, and, uh, and subscribe. 
So have a great night. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Take care.